Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFISFM. Hey world, this is Michael Franti. This is Kanan. Foho in the dark. Coco Bordello. Hi, I'm Natasha Atlas. Greetings, this is Tanya Stevens. Justin Adams. This is Steve Riley of the Mambo Playboys. Talvin Singh, you're listening to Free Range Radio. Steve Berlin. Cesar Rosas. We're from Los Lobos and you've discovered music with no borders and no boundaries. This is Cal Coat. The best artists in the world come home to World Beat Canada Radio. Join me each week for a ride on the global side. World Beat Canada Radio, Monday nights at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, now we are on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have Sean on? Yes, we Sean? have Sean. Hello. Hi, Sean. I want you to pronounce your last name for me so I don't say it wrong. Sure, it's Palfinier. Palfinier. Yeah. Good. I got it now. And that's what I was trying to say, but you never know out here in the West... Um, I dated a guy, his name was, um, well, they called him Emil Jelinas. Uh-huh. His name was Emil Jelinas. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the difference, yeah. Isn't it really? Yeah. And so welcome. Um, I was looking for um, a business that was doing alternative energy, and I found you, and Riverside um, Energy Systems, and you've been going for 30 years. Just about, yeah. We're, we're I think we're on year 28 now. Wow. And so, did you start off in Kamloops? Uh, originally, uh, it was Paul who founded the company. He started in Ontario, but then he established the business in Kamloops in 1995. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how much sunshine you get in Ontario. That's where I'm originally from. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> but Kamloops, yeah, you get lots of sunshine there and Kelowna and, and uh, Lillooet and Lytton, all in, in the canyon, you get lots of sunshine. And, yeah. and so, um, a couple of years ago, I got a hold of somebody in town who uh, was advertising solar energy, and they said, there's no point in coming in, nobody's interested in solar energy, and so I think things have changed a little bit, because you've opened a business here in Prince George. Yeah, they have changed. Um, I mean, it's we've serviced the area uh Probably since 1995, just the level of inquiries wasn't uh, wasn't there, and there wasn't much advertising done on our part. But mm-hmm. since uh, recent federal incentives, um, things have changed, and with the cost coming down, you know, for the right person, it uh, it can make a lot of financial sense, which makes a business case, which then creates a business. Yeah, and so you can make your own electricity. I know there's there's people who have small little um, outside little solar systems for certain things. I think, boy, if I was in Africa, I'd be having my oven and my cooking and everything, you know, because you'd have constant sunshine just about. But so let's talk about um, how I would go about getting a hold of you and uh, what we would do to get a solar system going in my, my home. For sure, yeah. So the couple uh, first options that we look at is uh, what kind of system are you looking for? Are you looking for one that's going to save you money? 
or are you looking for one that's going to provide power during a power outage or perhaps you don't have power there right now and you're living off grid and you would like to have uh, power um, instead of a generator you can use solar and batteries mm-hmm. so so there's a couple um, couple major points right there which one are we looking for our typical client nowadays is just looking to save money mm-hmm. um, so in that case we would take a look at the property and we would take a look at how much power you are currently using mm-hmm. so we need to establish is it a good spot for solar power right and yeah and are you using enough power to justify the upfront cost of a solar system being installed mm-hmm. yeah so is, I mean, is it expensive sean is it expensive because what I read, I didn't think it was all that expensive considering um, what it cost me for hydro. Yeah, it can, I mean, again, it can vary from case to case, house to house. Mm-hmm. I've seen small homes with very large hydro bills, and I've seen very large homes with small hydro bills. So it does depend on what you're using the electricity for. Uh, as far as the expense of a solar system, it can go from you know, as little as $10,000 to get set up mm-hmm. and as high as I think we've done some systems that are now pushing a quarter million dollars to have set up on a certain home. Oh. So it is uh, it is very different. I would say the average, though, is probably about fifteen to 16000 per home. So, then, so can I yeah. heat my home with it? I'm sorry? Could I heat my home with solar energy? Uh, So that's a little bit of a tricky one. You can offset the cost of your heating with solar energy, but if you were to try and specifically heat your home with just solar and batteries, that's where it gets very expensive. Okay. Because heating anything is very hard on battery technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so alternate sources of heating are always encouraged, especially in off-grid um, pellet stoves, wood heating, um, that sort of thing is going to save you a lot more money in the long run mm-hmm. than if you try to do solar and batteries. Yeah, and, and if we're going to do solar, it's because we want to um, have less pollution. And then if we use wood and, and pellets, we're going to pollute more. And so it's kind of a, a, a pull, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And so... Um, I was looking at your website, and I, I see that there's kind of options. You can have the solar panels on the roof, or you can have it on the ground. I guess depending on you, where where you're going to get the most sun. Yes, exactly. It depends on how much space you have. I mean, uh, again, the majority are a little bit space-limited, so the roof works really nice for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roof also saves you some money mm-hmm. because you don't have to build any foundations in order to put the array. Right. So, yeah, so the roof uh, roof is always going to be our first option. Again, uh, going back to my first point, if it's off-grid or grid-connected, um, if it's off-grid, we probably don't want them on the roof because you're going to want to keep them clear of the snow to keep your batteries topped up. Whereas in a grid-connected system, we're not too worried because, especially here in BC, uh, BC Hydro gives you a credit every time you produce more energy than you use. Mm -hmm. So you can save up those credits and then use them in the wintertime so you don't have to worry about clearing the snow. Okay. Yeah, because I was thinking about uh, my age getting up on the roof and... (laughs) 
and brushing off the snow, maybe falling through a solar panel or two while I'm at it. Do they? Yeah, we, we don't encourage that at any age, for sure. It's pretty dangerous. So yeah. It's uh, not something we tell anybody they they should be doing. No, and and so are they? Do they break easily the the solar panels? Uh, so they're tempered glass, so it's quite difficult to break them. I mean, myself, I'm uh, probably 170 pounds. I can walk on them when they're mm-hmm. on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, they get installed. I mean, we've installed them as high up, uh, you know, we're pushing the Yukon border. Um, even in Alberta, there's a lot of hailstorms. Oh, yeah. Uh, they withstand a lot of that. It's, it's pretty rare. I mean, maybe if you hit it with a golf ball, you might have to replace it. But, again, it's they're pretty strong for what they are. I've, I've had... Uh, a couple moments where I've had one fall over on me on a concrete driveway, it, thinking it would be smashed, yeah. but it was fine. Oh, that was lucky, eh? Uh, yeah. So, the cost of a of installation, like, uh, um, I did look at some panels. I forget where, whether it was it was one of the places here in town, just to look, and they seemed expensive. Like, can you install them yourself? If you wanted just a little solar panel for your greenhouse or something like that? Yeah, for sure you could. It, again, depends on the application. Um, you know, if I mean, going to the basics of the solar panel, it's, it's going to turn the sunlight into usable electricity, but that's only when the sun's out. So yeah. depending on what you want to do, uh, most of the time you're going to want to store that power somewhere and then pull that power from your storage. Uh, you'll also have to convert that power into usable power. Um, most of our appliances use uh, AC power in our home or in your greenhouse. If you were looking to power a fan or a water pump, mm-hmm. that's going to have to be, you know, most of the time AC power. You can get DC power fans, DC power pumps, which then you could just be pulling off of the solar or the battery. Mm-hmm. I, I would say there's a hundred different ways to do it, but the most common and cost-effective is a solar panel storage system and then inverting it to alternating current so you can use the majority of your appliances. So I'm trying to picture this in my head. Um, So I have solar panels on my roof. Is there wires or something that run to a battery to store it? How, how How does it go from the the solar panel into a storage area? Yeah, so again, if you're looking at uh, off-grid or you're worried about power outages, then we are going to use a battery, mm-hmm. and that's what would happen is you would have the solar panels on the roof, uh, some wires would be fed down, just like uh, if you had an electrician put in a light switch, right. same thing, uh, most of us are electricians here, mm-hmm. we bring our cables down into the area where the batteries are, and then you've got uh, a charge controller and an inverter, and so basically the solar panels, their job is to keep those batteries topped up. Mm-hmm. And then the batteries are going to be powering your inverter. And your inverter is only called upon when you're using power in the home. Mm-hmm. So if you turn some lights on, it'll let you know, and the inverter will say, okay, here's some power from the batteries. And does it tell you when you're, you're running low and stop using it? Yes, for sure. Lots of safety measures in place because the batteries are really the expensive part. And again, why we don't, uh, why the majority of our systems are not coupled with batteries is because it's just not really financially feasible unless it's something you really want. Mm-hmm. 
So they do let you know. There's low voltage, low voltage warnings. Uh, they'll shut themselves down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots of different ways. Okay, but yeah, I'm a I'm a hands-on person, so I'm trying to picture this now. You've given me good information, so that it's not just light going, sunlight going into something, and then where does it go from there? And so, the, what are the advantages of having solar? I, uh, part of it is saving um, electrical bill. Part, I guess, would be green, being green. Yeah. That's, I mean, the two main ones. And then, mm-hmm. again, if you want power during an outage or you want to uh, be self-sustainable and you don't want to rely on grid power, you can have it set up where you have solar and batteries uh, as a hybrid system. So you can generate power while the grid is on and you can backfeed the grid to gain credits. And then if the grid goes down, you can have a battery system set up, which is, those are becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Um there's also speculation that electric vehicles will eventually become your home backup battery as well. Oh, my goodness. That's very yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because we have to do something, don't we? And we have to find ways of stopping polluting. Um, I think the the most non-polluting energy might be uh, hydrogen and uh, nuclear. And, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so electric cars were running in the 1900s, mm-hmm. and then they found gasoline, yep. <laughs> and then they stopped making what we're, what we're doing now. How, like how insane is all that? If we'd kept <laughs> if we'd kept using electric cars, we wouldn't be polluting the air. I, yeah, you know it's funny. It's just like anything. It's uh, Anytime it becomes political, there's definitely um, interest involved. So I think the same can even be said now for the solar industry as it could for the electrical vehicle industry today as it was back in the early 1900s. I mean, even solar power has been around since the 1800s. But uh, mm-hmm. until it makes sense for, you know, a majority or a specific uh, political party, it's, it's just not going to gain the same traction. So it's kind of a sad reality. I think it is shifting towards the right direction, but I think I think there's still a lot of work to do there. And so do you just do solar or do you do you um, are you investing in geothermal or other um, sources? Um, so we specifically um, we focus on solar. Uh-huh. We've done a little bit of everything. We've gone as far as micro hydro, uh, wind turbines, not so much geothermal. That requires um, pretty heavy duty drill. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we're well versed in a lot of the renewable energy technology, but what it comes down to is solar right now is the most cost effective. Uh, easiest way to get our clients uh, from A to B, if you will. Mm-hmm. I know that Mike Morris has got geothermal um, in his house, and uh, but I don't quite get that in my head either. How that works, and and then when I was reading about um, nuclear, I was really surprised that fifty percent of America uses nuclear, which is clean energy, and we all kind of freak out because of the accidents that have happened, and yet um, it's really clean. 
Yeah, so I think it comes down to, uh, like you said, the accidents, mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's those uh, friendly, fuzzy words like solar and wind. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they feel nice, and then when you say nuclear, you think of uh, you think of Chernobyl, and you think of all these devastating events and how catastrophic it can be, whereas in reality, nuclear is likely the answer for, like, the global market energy demand. Yes. It's a lot more clean. It's, um, it, you know, it takes up a lot less space when it comes time to produce the energy, and it just produces that much more power than solar, wind, uh, geothermal, everything. So right now it's, again, it's not a, not a cheap setup. You can't no. just uh, populate a nuclear power plant in your backyard. <laughs> so it's uh, a little bit more difficult to get everybody on board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to go to an individual homeowner and let them know that, you know, it's going to be $15,000 for a solar setup and the government is going to basically pay for it for you yeah. versus trying to get a community of 10,000 people to invest millions of dollars into a nuclear power plant. It's two different, uh, two different cells on that point. Yeah, but... Uh, it um, yeah, it is the word nuclear that just kind of freaks us out. Now, there, there's some kind of a grant I see that that um, you can get if you uh, get the solar power system put in. Yeah, so the federal government released the rebate last year. Mm -hmm. It was uh, right around April. The um, It's not just for solar. It's for anything that is uh, helping... Homeowners reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and make their homes a little bit more energy efficient, and solar happened to fall into that category, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so a lot of people can get uh, $1,000 back per kilowatt, and without, uh, you know, diving into kilowatts, because that will make most listeners fall asleep. Yep. Um, it's, uh, it's it's basically that $15,000 system I was talking about. You would yeah. get 5000 back off of that price because it does uh, maximize out at 5000 Wow. And, yeah. and so do you do any wind um, at all? Uh, for wind, Tur we used to. Um, mm -hmm. Nowadays, not as much. I know a lot of districts are very particular about where wind power can be installed. Mm -hmm. Most city limits in D.C. do not allow wind turbines in their yards mm. um, because of the noise. Oh. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And then most of our calls now are to help them remove their wind turbines because... Uh, like wind and water, they are moving parts, so they require maintenance. Yeah. Um, things can fail on them. They're, you know, not going to be as uh, as efficient as solar. They're going to be quite a bit more expensive. So it's pretty rare that we get somebody that really has to have wind power. By the time they have all the facts in front of them, it's easier to just add a few more solar panels than it is to put up a wind turbine. So do you do windmills? I mean, the the farmers used to use windmills to pump their water. And, um, you know, I, I haven't seen a windmill in a farmer's yard for a long, long time. And yet, when I was a kid, we used to see them all the time. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes back to now we have the technology of a water pump mm -hmm. that uh, runs off of electricity and to power it is just, 
that much easier with solar than it is with wind. Yeah. And it's that much more efficient, uh, reliable. So I know the ones you're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. still read them and I still see them in the books that I read to my son, but <laughs> not as common anymore. Yeah, and, you know, the water wheels, that was something else that uh, they used to grind uh, grain and... Uh, um, and and they they've used that into a bigger thing now into tidal energy and wave energy and, uh, instead of just a, a you know a little a little water wheel that's grinding the grain and yeah. and then of course Holland had those windmills all over the place and I saw them it seems to me it was like New Hampshire or some place like that I was traveling one time. And I'm pretty sure I saw them in that area as well. The great big houses with the the big, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe they're yeah. just to look at now. <laughs> I think it's more for visual now. Um, when it comes to wind power, it, it only really makes sense on an industrial scale. Okay. So the, the large wind turbines, those ones make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. The smaller ones, they're, they're just too expensive to set up for, you know, a single residential application. Uh, but wind is still a, a great form of renewable energy. It's just a matter of uh, getting it set up and setting it up for a community, not just individual homeowners. And are you investigating hydrogen at all as a power um, power source? A little bit, yeah. We keep our eyes on it. I think it's very um, cool, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're able to generate electricity by using hydrogen and oxygen on either side of uh, basically a battery core, so it works like a battery. And then as the hydrogen passes through the center, it uh, creates an electrical current, and it combines with the oxygen, and then basically your waste is just H2O or what we know as water. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, you can then induce a current to separate those molecules again, and you end up with more hydrogen. So like any energy, um, you need a fuel, and in, in this case, hydrogen is that fuel. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's promising, but it'll require some, again, political and uh, financial backing to really catch up with the rest of what's going on. Yeah, like the oil barons and, and those people don't want us even talking about these things. Um, and we have... Um, the woman in town here that owns that trucking business that has got the crossover diesel hydrogen trucks, I think, boy, is she ever a visionary um, that she's already got them going in our community. And I think it's the first in Canada. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And and so then I was um, uh, thinking about the, the uh, carbon capture I don't understand that at all, and I don't know if you uh, participate in that, building those those things. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's definitely out of our wheelhouse. That's some pretty <laughs> heavy technology at that point, uh, and uh, I know there's awards being dished out for who can come up with the best carbon capture method. Because, again, that's uh, the reality. What it's come down to is uh, basically eliminating our carbon footprint. And, you know, with the the carbon taxes and the carbon tax credits, you know, that's how some people have made a lot of money is basically selling uh, carbon tax credits to governments. And 
it's uh, it's a unique industry as well, but not something that we uh, dive into. Yeah. Now, in uh, up north, they would, even though it's cold, they would have a lot of sun. Mm-hmm. So, is that a good place to have a, a solar system? Yeah, for sure. The um, solar panels themselves, or any electrical component for that matter, they actually operate better in cooler temperatures. Oh. Uh, the only drawback is the sun is not in the sky for as long as mm-hmm. when it is in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's the biggest difference there. So on a really, really hot day, uh, we can even say, you know, Prince George is an example, um, you're going to make more power throughout the day, mm-hmm. but your, pe- your peak power is not going to be as high as it could be on a cooler day in, say, April, May, or October, November, uh, just because everything's colder, and if you get a nice blue sky day and the sun is hitting the panels at the right angle, you're going to make more power in that instantaneous moment than you would in the summertime. Yeah, I keep thinking like of giant greenhouses and and how they probably would work up in Alaska and up in the north. Um, I have a friend who's up working on the pipeline sending pictures back and it's quite barren looking and yet the days seem to be quite sunny. And mm-hmm. now you've got me thinking, hmm, why couldn't, you know, we need to start being more um, uh, self-sufficient in our food production. And, um, you know, I was thinking about solar panels and uh, greenhouse, and and I don't know why I think we need heat to have solar power, but I think everybody probably thinks that sunshine and heat and all of that, but it, it's going to work all all year round, and uh, and so in the winter when the snow is there, like how do you clear those panels? Does the snow melt? So, um, not speaking from experience in Alaska, but uh, going up as far as let's say Fort St. John, mm-hmm. uh, if you did have to clear them, we typically encourage just uh, plastic squeegee. Uh, something with an extendable arm that you can then uh, sweep them off. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, again, mostly what we would encourage. And we base a lot of our systems off of Natural Resource Canada's uh, Solar Access Guide. Mm-hmm. And what that means is uh, they've collected a bunch of data over decades and just come up with this chart that shows how many hours of sunlight each city is going to get basically across the country so yeah we can size our system uh based off of those Mm -hmm. and it will let us know how much power you're able to make in the summertime and if it's worth it to clear them off in the winter and again majority of the time i would actually be confident in saying every time it's just not worth clearing them off unless you're trying to power a battery okay yeah Uh, well i think you know, I, I, I'm really glad that... How long have you been in Prince George? Uh, so, again, we've been up there for a little while, but it's only been a couple of years now yeah. uh, that we've really established our uh, presence there. We were sharing um, some office space with another local electrical company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's still a little bit slow going because, again, our head office being in Kamloops, we spend most of our time there. Um, 
but we're we're looking to expand because we've got a lot of uh, a lot of friends, family up there. One of the owners of Riverside is originally from Prince George, so he's always happy being up there and working up there mm-hmm. um, with uh, with his friend who owns the electrical company. So you know, it just, it just has a really nice feel as a town. It's um, it's friendly. It's mm-hmm. something that we want to. Uh, be there a little bit more often and I mean for the last couple of years that's what we've really noticed so right now there's only a couple of us there but uh, we plan on expanding and getting a little bit larger so you're on 15th Avenue 3641 15th Avenue in Prince George and yeah. uh, people need to um, drop in and and um, have a look at what you're doing and go on your website and have a look just because uh, people aren't doing it yet it doesn't mean it isn't going to work. I think the phone number here is 596-8991. That's right, yeah. And it's Riverside Energy Systems. And we have a, a quite an organized group of people who are really trying to be self-sufficient, being, uh, you know, have food safe or, or being able to feed ourselves and I, I think we need to talk more about solar so that everybody knows that you're here and uh, how we can do this uh, it's yeah. very important I think Sean and I'm really glad that you gave us the time to explain these things to me and get me and everybody else to be able to understand a little more about solar energy yeah, I'm happy to share my knowledge. I mean, it's it's an ever changing industry. It's uh, you know not not everybody's favorite topic, but I think if we're always focusing on things that we can do better for uh, ourselves and for the planet, then we're going in the right direction. So always yeah. happy to chat. Yeah, good. Well, thank you so much, and I'm very interested. I'll have to go down and have a look at what you've got down there. Thank you, Sean, so much. Sounds great. Thanks, Sharon. Have a nice day. Yeah, you too. And that was Sean from. Uh, Riverside Energy and uh, Paul Fenier. Paul Fenier was his last name. Anyway, we'll take a short break and have our next guest. Hey world, this is Michael Franti. This is Kanan. Oh, in the dark. Gogo Bordello. Hi, I'm Natasha Atlas. Greetings, this is Daniel Stevens. Justin Adams. This is Steve Riley of the Mamu Playboys. Talvin Singh, you're listening to Free Range Radio. Steve Berlin, Cesar Rosas. We're from Los Lobos and you've discovered music with no borders and no boundaries. This is Cal Coach. The best artists in the world come home to World Beat Canada Radio. Join me each week for a ride on the global side. World Beat Canada Radio, Monday nights at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The end of the week is time for well-earned relaxation and play. Join Two Rivers Gallery on select Friday evenings each month to enjoy the freedom of artistic expression, a fun atmosphere, and a complimentary refreshment. Open to adults with any level of art experience. Registration for the next Friday Art Disco is available through the adult programs link at tworiversgallery.ca. Friday Art Disco, new at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Take part in the Great British Columbia Shakeout on October 20th. It's an annual opportunity to practice how to be safer during big earthquakes. Drop, cover, and hold on. The Shakeout has been organized to encourage you, your community, your school, or your organization to review and update emergency preparedness plans and supplies, and to secure your space in order to prevent damage and injuries. Get more information and register today by visiting shakeoutbc.ca. 
Prince George five-day forecast from Environment Canada for today, sunny, a high of 22. Tonight, clear, fog patches developing overnight, a low of 5. On Wednesday, increasing cloudiness in the morning, a high of 18. Then clearing on Thursday and a high of 20. Sunny's the outlook for Friday, a low of 6, a high of 19. And Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 6 and a high of 18. The long-range forecast for Sunday and Monday, a mix of sun and cloud each day with lows around 3 and highs of 19. This is Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS FM. Okay, Sharon, we are back on again. Oh, good. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Judy. And we have our next guest who is from the Central Interior Native Health Society, and her name is Shabna Sharma. And I asked permission to ask Shabna where her name comes from and if it has a special meaning. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sharon. Um, and, and you called me Shobna, which is actually my mom's nickname for me. Oh. Um, but my actual name is Shoba. Shoba. And, but Shoba has, it, it comes, it's a Sanskrit name, so it came from one of the old texts, like one of the longest epics ever written. Oh. Um, but the meaning of it is to give beauty. Oh. So you would give beauty Beautiful. to something. So, gar ko shoba dete hai. You would, you give the home beauty. So if that African origin? Oh, or? no, sorry. It's, so it, it's, it's Sanskrit origin. Sanskrit, mm-hmm. which but is India. India. And, uh, so Indian, uh, and Pakistan were one, once one. I took a t- um, yeah. I, I took women's studies at UN- UMBC and had to read a book about that separation and yeah. how terrible it was. Yeah, yeah. it was a massive yeah. genocide. Yeah, that was absolutely awful. Pe- most people don't know the history of mm-hmm. Pakistan and India that they mm-hmm. were one once one, and then I think it was probably Muslim and Sikh and. Hindu. Hindu. The three, yeah. yeah that, that separated, but it was an awful story. I, it just killed me to read it. Yeah. And yet, um, it, it, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's indigenous and she was talking about the, the, you know, the colonization. Mm-hmm. And I said it happened all over the world. It mm-hmm. didn't happen just here. That's yeah. right. Because, yeah. Um, India was colonized by Britain, and and I remember Passage to India that that mm-hmm. series that was on TV, and I loved it. I watched it all the time. But what I couldn't get over was how the the women there had to wear these dresses mm-hmm. uh, that were buttoned up to their neck and long sleeves, where before they wore these beautiful silk pajama type things, which mm-hmm. would be proper in that heat, mm-hmm. and and that's part of the colonization. And so when, so you were born here, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, your parents immigrated. They did, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it was really interesting because my mom. And my grandmother and my grandfather and my father, they would tell me a lot of stories. And, um, yeah, colonization was really, it was, it was very destructive there as well. You know, yeah. again, the result yeah. of my, my, my grandmother's side, mm-hmm. maternal grandmother, they lived on the Pakistan side. So the stories of when the border oh, crossing man. had to happen overnight and, but also how those that were Muslim protected 
our Hindu family and help them seek refuge on the other side and vice versa. Yeah, right? So yeah. amidst all these individuals just doing what they needed to do because it was the political agenda to divide and have everything separated in the constitution in place so India could operate as an independent yeah. country. Um, there was also families and, and individuals who didn't look at religion and didn't look at race. No, and we it, were people. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, and that's the whole thing. The division is political mm-hmm. or religious, but it's not to do with people. The people mm-hmm. are just doing their everyday thing. And so now then you're an executive director of a, of a service that mm-hmm. is for indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily you know about colonization from your family stories. Mm-hmm. And so you understand when uh, the indigenous people come in uh, for service, what they've experienced from your own history. It, it, and the thing is, I wish people would understand it didn't just happen in Canada. It mm-hmm. happened in Africa. It mm-hmm. happened in Mexico. It mm-hmm. happened in South America. Mm-hmm. And whatever, uh, you know, I, I even forget the Dutch colonized mm-hmm. Africa. Spanish, yeah. Portuguese. Yeah. And, and the Dutch had uh, reservations. And, you know, mm-hmm. like we can't just focus on one area we have to look at colonization mm-hmm. as as the big picture of greed and mm-hmm. and putting your beliefs on another stealing somebody's identity mm-hmm. which i feel happens when um and, and it's going to be crazy when we're talking about this mm-hmm. but i feel um when um, a child is is sexually abused their identity is stolen it, it, there's a different way of stealing identity mm-hmm. and and they're given a different identity yep. mm-hmm. when that happens to them so central interior native health has been running for quite some time which i you know it started off on a kind of like a, a just a grassroots it started off from a um wasn't it the government did an investigation into the the health of indigenous people and and uh, started looking at why they weren't getting treated yeah i think it was simultaneous um the story and the history that I have heard about Central Interior is that there was there was Indigenous leaders in our community um, that were working in community service and really identified, especially like our birthplace was really the Prince George Native Friendship Centre where Indigenous leaders came together and said, there is zero primary care supports that really acknowledge the impact and the horrific impact of yeah. colonization in this region. Yes. Um <clears throat> And and I and even though colonization has happened in so many places, I just have to say that when I would share the stories that I would hear about from my parents, my mother specifically, who was studying to redo her education degree here at CNC, and she would read accounts of residential school survivors. So she would tell me these stories at a young age in the CNC library. Yeah. And I remember her or taking these stories back to villages where I was in India and talking to, to elders there about colonization in, in in Canada where I was born and raised. Yeah. And also to Maasai Mara, like elders of the Maasai tribe in in outside of Kenya, in Kenya, sorry, right. outside of Nairobi. And they were just absolutely shocked and dismayed by the 
the colonization tactics here, such as the 60s scoop, where yeah. children were taken away, where whole communities were, you know, robbed of their children. Yeah. And then residential schools and TB hospitals. Like, yeah. there was really specific, I think, also aspects of colonization that occurred here that has really created so much trauma and so much um oh. you know it's such a what's such a my trauma. identity exactly. my identity i don't have one and yeah. yet i i'm called an indian or i'm called mm-hmm. a native and but i don't know what that is yeah. and you know I, and when i was working down at the hospital down in lytton um the high school there was teaching their language mm, wow and that was in the 70s Mm-hmm. That they had the, you know, the the knowledge or the wisdom to teach their language, uh, and there's a an article I read and it it was in my office desk and I I wonder if it's still there mm-hmm. um, about um, your identity is stolen mm-hmm. and how your identity is stolen, and and then it says yeah. identity of the thousands hundreds of thousands Canadians has been stolen yeah yeah, yeah. and so when I was looking at because um, I've been in emergency and I've seen what goes on there mm-hmm. and and I I feel so good that the Aboriginal people have their own health place um, that they can go to and when I've gone in there it's pretty open. Mm-hmm. For people to come in, use the phone, have a coffee, sit mm-hmm. down. You know, it's very welcoming. Yeah. So when we started in the 90s, it was really, again, to respond to that. Where's the primary care that's acknowledging that there were and will remain impacts of colonization that are affecting the individual and mm-hmm. families and communities? And how do we actually put supports in place Um, to do that in a good way. And I think it started a lot with cultural safety initially is bringing in providers, you know, nurses and doctors that really understood um, or were compassionate and really acknowledged that there needs to be space created. There needs to be space to hear these stories so individuals can heal. Mm -hmm. And then it went further in, in, in the team realizing really quickly that there's so many social determinants of health that are impacting um, individuals to be able to get on a, a on a good tra- trajectory for their own health goals. Yeah, and so it was then alert, gr- broadening our team to include social workers and um, wellness counselors and mental health clinicians, understanding the mental health uh, impacts on an individual as well as the addiction impacts on yes. individuals, substance use management, and, mm-hmm. and coping strategies mm-hmm. for trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, it also really realized the, you know, the impact of land theft and, again, being yes. able to now, you know, reserve systems. And then what does that look like for someone that's in an urban center? And how do they access the resources that have been taken away from them in the home community when they come into a larger community? So, again, having a team to help to wrap around and help that individual find some of that foundation again, mm-hmm. where it was really taken taken away and and I think in recent years and this has really been interesting I took I took over this position from Murray Krauss who was in you know who was doing this work for so many years actually went to high school I think yeah, yeah went to high school with my father actually <laughs> just they just celebrated their 50th 50th oh my goodness yeah. wow so <clears throat> It was amazing to see that at that time we were doing all this work around cultural safety and with the 
affirmation of the unmarked graves. I think that was just a huge thing that had to happen. Yeah, wake up. Yeah, huge wake up. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us were like this messaging needed to come through sooner. And this information was not undercover somewhere. But all all of a sudden, and I don't know how to explain it. I think someday they'll have some sort of project on this. But this veil lifted. And now now all of a sudden people were understanding what was happening. But at the same time, I think that created a lot of triggers for those that have been living with that trauma and with that that knowledge for so long. But in, in, in that veil opening, it also opened up, finally, funding streams, too. Yes. That said, that, that allowed us to say, we don't just want to do this by addressing, you know, what's happened and addressing the lingering impacts. But we want to now take this one step further. And we've always wanted to do that is to mm-hmm. say... Indigenous health should be led by Indigenous approaches to health and wellness. Mm-hmm. We should be able to operate in a worldview and a framework mm-hmm. that was there pre-colonization. And we don't need to take over individuals' thoughts. And so why do we need to continue? And so if individuals want to claim back how they want to heal, then there needs to be space for that, too. But mm-hmm. there's been a restriction in funding. So in the last few years, we've now seen this opening even in that world to say, yes, what is the role of an elder or a traditional healer and how can you bring them in to support the clients that need That's the most? Right. And yeah. now we're seeing our clients respond by having an opportunity for women to sit in a group led by an elder, a healing circle, or to have our clients go out, you know, in the midst of COVID mm-hmm. for harvesting and foraging. So they were, you know, practicing contact intensity and, and, but they were also being able to engage in community, getting exercise, yes. getting back to quality of life and then food provision from that and helping to honor those traditional foods in mm-hmm. this region that are really mm-hmm. so good for mm-hmm. you and yeah. denied in spaces like a residential school where you weren't allowed to have your traditional foods. So yes. Yes. It's, just, it's kind of almost, I feel like at this point, Central Ontario Native Health is now able to really practice in an Indigenous framework as well as a Western framework, which also has its great benefits of having that um, reactive and preventative measures to health, but now doing a kind of a combination of two is what we're really. Well, I think the the beginning of the residential school system had because I um, I was down in Lytton working in the hospital down there, and I worked with Indigenous people um, in the office, and she was telling me about St. George's. Hmm. And and uh, and so in the morning the boys would go out and feed the animals or, or do the haying or you know gather at the eggs or whatever and and the girls would do cooking and uh, learn life skills for that and then in the afternoon they would be taught the part about going into the non-indigenous world to work. They'd be getting all the stuff that we got in high school. The thing that happened was they didn't allow for their language or their culture. And um, and I looked at the the program and I thought, now there, you know, I said to my worker, I said, oh my gosh, you got the the chance to go into either world. I wasn't allowed to learn how to farm or to have chickens or anything like that. And um, but the thing was was the dark side of it. Mm-hmm. And if I was in some kind of power, I would take those schools and reverse the whole pro- pro- 
program and put in like they did in Lytton, put in the the culture, the language, the the use. Because I learned all about the herbs and the medicine and stuff from the elders down in in Lytton, and and they still have a lot of their culture down at Lytton and Lillooet. Mm. For some reason or other, they managed to, I guess maybe because they were isolated. But, mm. um, yeah. And they were very isolated because Makes of the mountains and everything. And yeah. yeah, individuals yeah. that were easily yeah. accessed because of ports or... That's right. Or points. And, 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 and the other thing is that there was no penicillin mm. until the 40s. And so a lot of people would not have had the advantage of penicillin back mm. in the day um, before the 40s. And and I just have to put that out there because there's a lot of you know, measles and, um, mind you, I heard terrible stories from shamans um, mm. about uh, blankets that were infected and, mm. and terrible strategies like that. There were very evil, terrible people that were put in charge of of all of this Mm -hmm. because I think parts of it had a trying to give them an opportunity should have kept the language like you would in in Quebec Mm -hmm. you know Mm should have kept the culture the way they have been in Quebec why why wasn't that allowed and Mm -hmm. and yeah, and so, but you have doctors, you have nurses, you have uh, a physiotherapist, mm-hmm. you have mental uh, health clinicians, wellness counselors, social workers, outreach. Yeah, um, we have a medication adherence program for those living with or at risk of individuals living with or at risk of um, HIV, HCV. Right. So that Which program. we're not even thinking about anymore. Yeah. But it's still around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we've got a really growing, um, incredible team of of knowledge holders and mm-hmm. individuals that are helping to develop programming so that we can do more land based work and mm-hmm. where we can actually engage with clients in a way that feels more comfortable and more natural because it aligns with their culture and their principles and their value systems. Yeah, exactly. Because their their system, um, the culture and their belief that everything has a spirit, everything is living, you know, I love that. That's mm-hmm. how I feel. Mm-hmm. And um, and in the culture of economics Mm-hmm. Everything's objectified, and and what can I make money out of this for? Instead of those trees that give us shade and oxygen, instead of thanking that tree for mm-hmm. giving us oxygen and shade, oh, I can make a paper or a box or something. The, you know, the whole different way of seeing things mm-hmm. as living um, spirits with and and. And, of course, the indigenous people never thought anybody owned the land. They thought it belonged to everyone. Mm -hmm. They never saw that it was something to, you know, own. And I think it's, um, I did my master's in indigenous governance where I feel like I had an opportunity to really understand what an indigenous worldview meant and and how it differed from, you know, I, I... it's, I don't know if we have a mainstream culture in Canada. I think we've got a mosaic, right? So we've got a lot of different people with different value systems, and some of them are very similar to that Indigenous worldview, yes. that perspective. But I think one of the, the best things that I feel that I'm learning in our center from our from our elder, Lucy Duncan, Decal Elder, and from other Indigenous team members is that it's 
it's not about one way. No. There are so many approaches. And even, again, even in Indigenous, so as we're approaching Indigenous health, there's there's space for other ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, once at one point, our physiotherapist was incorporating acupuncture mm-hmm. to address chronic pain. And so there's always this openness to there's different ways of doing things and we have to respect and we have to honor those That's different right. ways. And so yep. there isn't ever just one way, but there's always this inclusivity. Yes. But colonization is one way mm-hmm. or the highway. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and if you do, you know, you, you think about, um, Hitler and and, and what he did mm. well it, it's colon, he was colonizing he was wiping out people mm. you know that didn't adhere to his beliefs and what's the difference mm-hmm. like come on folks let's mm-hmm. get real here it isn't just one race of people that have colonized mm-hmm. and the effects of it especially on women Mm-hmm. And their their place in the world, and um, uh, like, like um, <laughs> this this afternoon when I came in, Judy's telling me that her grandson's getting married, and I said, "Well, why does anybody have to get married? You know, like just sign a piece of paper saying." <laughs> It's true. It's <laughs> but true. they want the, the yeah. they want the whole thing. And I did it too, I have to admit. I did do it. <laughs> yeah, more than once. <laughs> Thank you for that, Judy. <laughs> well you know what? Last Saturday would have been my sixty second anniversary. Oh, yeah, I I never made more than ten years. I had <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Couldn't. Now oh. you've got um I wanted to just mention, have I got time? Oh, I don't have time. I wanted to just mention your staff. Oh, yeah. Because they are like heroes. Because yeah. there's a lot of people come in that office that are really mad. Yeah. And are really um, maybe psychotic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, really, if like... And so you've got to be a special kind of a person to really work in do. that building. You really do. And yeah. you have to um, have boundaries, not be an enabler, but not be a dictator, not be abusive, because uh, what else would the people that come in there expect yeah. except abuse? Yeah, yeah. And so I I just want to mention that you, the staff that work in, in the... Uh, Central Interior Native Health have got compassion coming out of their ears. They do. They yeah. do. Their patience, their ability to build the trust of our clients is paramount to the work that they do. And sometimes they have to go through a lot of hoops yep. to be able to build that trust because of the lived experience of our clients and facing discrimination and stigma. And so we do have an incredible team who works so hard yep. and they're completely passion driven. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we need more of that. We need, you know, and we invite our community to be born compassionate about the person that's angry or unwell because there's always a story behind there that is. and sometimes that story is generations and generations old but it still requires the attention and the love it's like what i said change. maybe i said maybe i'm out of line talking about uh, the sexual abuse or the rape of a child but this is who is on the street a lot of them and their identity is is to be uh, worthless, mm-hmm. uh, they they don't understand that a wrong was done to them. Mm-hmm. They believe that they are wrong. There's something wrong with them, 
And I always say, wrong was done to you. Yeah. The wrong is on the other person, not you. Yeah. But when you're young, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hired a wonderful woman to work with me down in Quenau, Hilda Antoine. And that was when I began to really learn about the mm. residential school and how she was taken away and put on a bus and had to make her own dress at five. Mm. What, what on earth? Mm-hmm. You know, and was smacked. Um, I found out that she couldn't hear the phone at night and, uh, when she was on night shift and I said, Hilda, what is wrong? Like, uh, what you can't hear. Can't mm-hmm. we do something about that? And I uh, found out that she'd been smacked so many times on the side of her head for speaking her own language at age five. Mm-hmm. What kind of compassion was shown to her? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got her hearing aids. And, and uh, I think the thing that the mistake I made, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but I didn't see color. I didn't see, I just saw a person, mm-hmm. a person who should be able to go wherever I went. And I think now... How frightened was she when I would take her into places and just think mm-hmm. she she's Hilda she's with me like mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. what was she's going a on human with? being like everybody else but mm-hmm. other people don't see it that way and I she know. didn't see it that way and uh, and I think that was a mistake mine I should have said how do you feel about what mm-hmm. you're doing but my mind was she has a right and I didn't yeah. see yeah. her part you mm-hmm. know her trauma. Oh, I'm yeah. not welcome in these places. Years and years of not being yeah. welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that sensitivity that that a person um, needs to have, because you don't know the story, no. but you kind of do know the story. Yeah. yeah. Imagine five years old being taken away and being smacked because you can't speak English and having to make... I just can't imagine what her... her and she was... A sexual abuse survivor and she bathed and bathed all the time and I've read they never feel clean mm-hmm. you know and yet uh, um, I I wish people would hear the stories I heard yeah and see I the people on the right street now. and have the yeah. compassion for them give them a bottle of water ask them how they're doing you know mm-hmm. and and I'll tell you something they're quite nice mm-hmm. and when they're angry I'll say oh no mm-hmm. you're having a bad day today yeah you know yeah and so you're being given an opportunity to learn a lot mm-hmm. I went to uh, I went through the program at uh, South Sun Leila mm-hmm. the trauma program oh wow you can go just okay. ask them to invite you okay and uh, uh, there's only seven people going through that and they're all indigenous except for me because I was working with indigenous mm-hmm. people. I was allowed to participate as a client. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why did the, you know, why did the universe put me in here mm-hmm. to be a witness mm-hmm. and also to be a role play, mm-hmm. the principal, the, the nun, the whoever. Uh, I knew that was part of it, too. I, mm-hmm. I was older than the elder mm-hmm. when I went there. But um, it's very important for us to understand that these are people who have been victimized. They're not victims. There's a mm-hmm. difference in that word. Yeah. I looked it up after you told me to, yeah. Karen. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so um, please understand that and say hello. 
Mm-hmm. These people are not going to spit on you or yell at you. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one of them. Yeah. That they're grateful that you would take the time to talk to them. Yeah. So you we have need to get out of here, Sharon. Do we? Oh, oh, oh yes. I want to thank you so much for coming. <laughs> thank you for having me, Sharon. Thank you, Shama, Judy. We'll have you back. And, thank you. Uh, and as you bring in new things, we'll get you in. Thank anyway, you. thank you so much thank for coming. Thank you so much for bringing this conversation forward. Yeah, we need to do that more often. And um, anyway, tune in next week. I forget who I'm having on. It'll be someone. (laughs) Thank you, Shevna. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hearn with production assistance from A.J. Fair. Theme music is courtesy of Goff Brooks Music. Catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM Prince George, proudly supported by community groups like the Heritage Free Presbyterian Church, 4020 Balsam Road.